Three, two, one. Hey, what's up, everyone? We're back at it again this week with another Founder Journey story. Uh, today, we've got Hired Motamed. Hired is a software business developer. Uh, I think it's back in 2013. Uh, he was at Launch Academy. He was um, uh, building a team and a product. Product ended up becoming something called Dr. Bill. Dr. Bill is an awesome solution. It is a B2B solution. So you as a consumer may not have heard of it unless you're a doctor. But uh, it was started with two partners um, with the intention to help streamline some of the business processes that Canadian physicians have to deal with in order to get paid. Um, the, the process for them with the um, universal healthcare, there's a lot of challenges there, uh, but they solved it. And uh, today, thousands of physicians use it. Um, Dr. Bill is both the easy to use software and they provide amazing customer service and delivery and are really passionate about um, the space and the industry. And they built a great team that's uh, driving um, innovation in, in the medical practice um, field. Here, Ed. Awesome to have you on. Uh, I kind of gave a good plug there for Dr. Bill, but let's hear from your words. What is Dr. Bill? And tell us a little about the space that you're, you're operating in. So it's, it's the back office of the medical industry, right? Yeah. Um, first off, thanks for having me and thanks for that uh, intro. Um, uh, yeah, so Dr. Bill is a medical billing solution for uh, physicians in Canada. So the story was that uh, initially my... Um, Partners and I we were trying to build an expense tracker for um, uh, for small business owners. Yeah, that I was a that. terrible idea. Um, <laughs> I have a. Um, I, I actually said this to a room full of um, uh, uh, young startups at one point, and I, I told them that uh, if you ever think about building an expense tracker, don't. And it turned out there was a team in there that was building an expense tracker, and they didn't. Uh, they weren't happy to hear that. But <laughs> but did they take your advice? Thinking about. The, um, eventually they did, but I think they, <laughs> they continued for a couple of months after they, uh, they took the advice. Um, and yeah, so we, um, we went down that road for a couple of months, um, before realizing it wasn't a, a great space. And, um, and, but in order to do that, we kind of built this, uh, receipt scanning functionality and whatnot into our prototype. Um, and after we, um, we decided that the project was uh, dead, uh, we would kind of get together for beers over uh, every couple of weeks. And, and um, one of my and that, partners... That's your original founding team would get together for beers or... That's right. That's right. Yeah. It yeah. was three of us um, at that point. Um, and yeah, we would get together for, uh, for beers and try to kind of mourn the loss of our baby project um, uh, and kind of figure out what, what to do next. And... Um, my partner, Steve, uh, came in one day and uh, he said, hey, you know, um, uh, my wife, who's a physician, uh, she kind of deals with all these index cards and they kind of look like receipts. If we can scan those, maybe we can scan these. Um, and that's how we kind of found the space and started, uh, started experimenting there. Uh, and he kind of started so those index, over. So those index cards, what, what, were, what was on those index cards? Is it just notes or... So um, it's, this is kind of funny. You, you wouldn't kind of believe that in the 21st century, this is how uh, it's done. But uh, essentially, if you're a physician and you're doing rounds in a clinic or you're doing rounds in a hospital, um, you are responsible for keeping record of what, who you've seen and what you've done for them and then submitting those records to, um, to the ministry uh, for each province to get paid. Um, and so what they were doing was they were uh, sometimes jotting down the information of the patient and uh, some notes about what they did for the patient. And this these index cards would go to um, 
someone who's a billing agent and this person would encode them into some uh, software that can talk to the ministry. And then it would uh, go to the ministry and it would get paid, the physicians would get paid for the work that they had done. Um, so you can imagine after a 12 hour shift of doing this um, in a hospital, there would be a lot of index cards. Um, and so some physicians would just be going home at, at the end of a long shift and then sitting down on a computer and entering these into an Excel sheet so they could email it to someone else. Um, and then have that person enter it again into yet another system that would then actually talk to the ministry, uh, which is where I wanted to go in the first place. Wow. So this is like, this is kind of like a, <laughs> a case study, a dream come true for anybody that's building like a B2B. You, you come across, across this archaic process that can be so easily simplified and digitized. And, and you guys already had a solution that was probably three quarters of the way there. You're just scanning. Um, this document and now you're able to service up that data and information for these people in, in probably a fraction of the time. Yeah. So this is, um, I, I really like this, uh, space because it's kind of a lazy man's, um, uh, startup <laughs> just in the sense that it, there, I, I, I'm pretty sure that some, a lot of the, um, really obvious improvements that technology can make, have not actually made it all the way to the places where they can be applied. And uh, the medical world is one of the obvious cases where um, uh, uh, I think a lot of the people that operate there um, may not be super familiar with what's possible with software. And for various reasons, the incentives may be such that people don't really want to uh, invest in better tools and better solutions. Um, one of the things that we kind of got lucky with with the Canadian healthcare system is that an individual doctor can make a decision of how they want to do their billing. Uh, if this was something that some hospital had to uh, go through a vendor approval process for uh, or something, we would, we, we as a small team, we have never been able to build a solution for this. Um, but because it was kind of, it is a B2B solution, but it is something that the sales process is kind of like B2C uh, and individuals can make those purchase decisions on their own. So um, that was just something that we got lucky with. And I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of these opportunities out there. The challenge is finding um, all of those niches that um, haven't been touched by people who are typically into technology and know that they can do amazing things with software. Yeah. And, and sometimes entrepreneurs, especially um, at the early stages, you get, I wouldn't say overwhelmed, maybe sidetracked into thinking, okay, we've got to overhaul the entire system. But that system is a beast and, and certain things are in there for justified reasons and you can't move them, but there are opportunities to digitize or automate certain aspects of that uh, archaic process. So you don't have to tackle the entire problem, but you can find key pain points within that, that process that you can address. And that's exactly what you guys did. Um, exactly. yeah, so that's really cool. Um, I, I want to get to you and your journey to get to where you are today. So Dr. Bill, again, very successful. You guys are uh, rocking and rolling. But uh, as we all know, <laughs> no entrepreneur journey is a straight path to success. Uh, break down some of the challenges and, and um, obstacles that you had to overcome to get to where you are today. Um, a lot of the obstacles, I would say, um, some, some of the biggest obstacles that I would highlight were in a way self-inflicted um, and I wouldn't have them any other way. Um, so some of the things that have stressed me out a lot over the years where 
sense of like, I didn't know what I was doing. And I still, in a lot of contexts, don't know what, I, what I'm doing. Um, but I still kind of put myself in that situation where I had to um, uh, figure it out and, and uh, do it. And so to give you a concrete example, um, at some point when I was in university, I kind of got it in my head. I read the four hour work week um, and I kind of got it in my head that I didn't want a typical career. Um, and at the same time, the iPhone had just come out. And I think right around the time when I was about to graduate, like the app store had, uh, had started blowing up and there were all these app store, um, millionaires. And I thought I wanted to be that person. Um, so I started kind of, um, I was studying electrical engineering at the time and I started shifting my focus more towards software. Uh, but I had never made, um, uh, any production app before. Um, well, did you I, know how to code? Experience... well, I knew how to code for a long time. I had kind of taught myself that in, um, uh, in high school and a little bit of my, my uh, electrical engineering, um, education kind of helped out with that in university, but, um, I didn't know how to make something that's actually useful. I was making C programs that would kind of implement some algorithm that was kind of famous. And, and that was all I knew. I didn't know how you would actually build an application and how to um, that people would use. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I started teaching myself that and right off the bat, I, um, I had a contact. I don't even know how I came across this. I don't remember exactly how it, uh, happened, but I had a contact who, uh, wanted a very simple iPhone app made. And I said, Hey, I can do that. I couldn't, I had no idea how to do it. <laughs> um, but I had, it was a, I remember Make it was it a $2,000. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah, exactly. I, that's what I effectively did. I didn't know that's what I was doing. I thought I could actually do it <laughs> very uh, uh, foolishly. Um, but uh, I remember it was a $3,000 contract and it took me a good three months to do. So uh, you know, it's probably not a very good uh, return on investment in terms of uh, my time, but that's kind of how I learned. And uh, from there, I kind of progressively ended up taking uh, other contracts through which I, I learned more and more um, how to actually make applications. Um, and the, that was kind of, uh, that was at the time, I just wanted to be able to make a living by doing something that I liked, which was writing code. Mm -hmm. um, but that's really everything that I've done since then, even if it, whether it was writing code or not, uh, or something to do with sales, um, or customer service or how to organize a team. Uh, all of that is basically uh, putting yourself in a situation where you're figuring things out for the first time. So I guess that experience kind of came in handy, but it is quite stressful. And I think the, uh, where it kind of becomes really mentally draining is as, the, as you end up having some level of success and um, you have something to lose, the mental pressure becomes, um, higher and higher because you kind of have this sense that I'm just navigating this for the first time and I don't know if what I'm making the right decisions. Um, when, when the stakes are kind of low, it doesn't really, uh, matter. But for me, I kind of, that was, um, that was the time where I kind of went for, uh, for some mental, um, uh, tailspins, uh, of trying to think like, am I actually good enough to be doing this? Um, am yeah, I, am I making the right bro. decisions? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so th this is one of the things I love about this series and then talking to these entrepreneurs. I don't know if it's just because we, we know each other and people are just a little more uh, comfortable opening up, but we, we get down into these taboo topics that a lot of people don't talk about publicly and, and founder depression and, and challenges that you face as an entrepreneur are very real. And it's a very, very difficult 
spot to be in because you don't really have a lot of outlets to talk to people. You can't really talk to your team. You can't talk to your employees, talking to investors or uh, even peers. There, there's a sense of I can't show weakness or I can't show areas of struggle because it's going to have uh, 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 a domino effect or, or reverberating uh, pre, uh, repercussions on me. And you continue to just struggle and, and beat your head up against the wall in private and, and at home or yeah. you take it out on your family and, um, and they don't know why. And so like, I, I want you to feel a little bit comfortable to talk about this with us and, and um, tell us like how, how did you recognize that you were facing these problems? Was it apparent from the beginning or is it some, took some sort of epiphany moment or realization that, Hey, there's something wrong here. Um, I, I, I definitely don't think I recognized it early enough. Um, I wish I'd recognized it earlier. I think some element of it is um, more experience than just age. So one of the factors was that I, I, when I started um, Dr. Bill specifically, I was 26. Um, and I, I would say I didn't have a lot of the emotional um, maturity that I could have used um, at the time. But there was one... Um, one specific moment where I kind of thought the amount of pressure that I'm under um, or I'm essentially putting myself in um, by doing this is, um, is not right. And that moment was, I remember we, uh, we shipped something and uh, it was an app update and it, uh, it broke, uh, broke things on our customers' devices and we didn't know uh, what was going on or why. Um, and, I remember, I, so I sat down and I started debugging this thing. Uh, this was late in the day. And around 8 p.m., uh, I had, uh, we're in a pretty large shared office building. So we had one office for ourselves, but then every, you walk down the hallway, there was, there was other offices. There was like architects and lawyers and uh, other small offices uh, in the building. And so at 8 p.m., it was pretty quiet. Um, and... And in the middle of my debugging session, I had a distinct awareness that if I have a heart attack right now, there's nobody to find me until uh, the next morning. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I think we're so lucky with uh, today is we can actually, we may not have the community right away to kind of provide support for, uh, for this kind of thing, but we can hear from people who've been there through things like podcasts or maybe potentially this series and uh, stuff like that. And I think one of the things that I was lucky with, um, uh, one uh, series of interviews that, that, uh, that were on the Tim Ferriss podcast and I was, I was listening to at the time, they really helped me um, kind of opened my eyes to the possibilities of things that people do to deal with high pressure situations. And uh, one of those things was uh, meditation. So I, at that point where I had that moment of realization of I might have a heart attack here um, at the, at the ripe age of uh, 27 or eight, um, I had already thought about doing a 10 day silent meditation retreat. And that was really the trigger um, that I needed to make it a priority and pull the trigger on it. So, so after you solved the bug, did you go on this ten-day uh, retreat? Yeah, yeah. So at the, it was the end of that year. I did my first ten-day retreat, and I've been making an effort to do one uh, every year since. So um, once a year. Are you on I, one right uh, now? I see you in, uh, in the middle of the mountains. Are you, are you on a retreat right now? No, <laughs> <laughs> no I wish I was. Uh, I was right now. I think uh, in 2020, I need an extra couple of retreats to <laughs> uh, to do with the pressures <laughs> we all do there after this year. 
but uh, sorry, I don't want to yeah. make light of it. But, uh, uh, no, but yeah, I've, tr I've tried once a year. And, and yeah, so it's, um, it's been a, yeah. walk us through it. Like what, what, what does this retreat entail? Like, this is really intriguing. This is, um, obviously one solution. Um, uh, I don't think we've had many people talking about taking like these, these kind of sabbaticals or these little mini retreats to decompress. Um, yeah. so if you don't mind sharing, tell us about the experience, maybe just tell, tell, tell us about the first one that you did and the emotions and the challenges that you went through as you did that. Um, yeah, so the first one, um, the first one was actually the easiest one for me because um, uh, it could be, again, good, like everything else, I didn't know what I was getting into. And so I just kind of uh, uh, sailed right through it. I think some of the subsequent ones that I've done have been um, more challenging. But I would say, so the, the overall process, um, at least for this um, uh way of meditation that I've been uh, following is that for 10 days, you have no inner stimulus and your primary focus is observing your own thoughts and your own sensations. I, um, I mean, the, the meditation is essentially body scanning meditation. Um, so for the first few days, you kind of start off by focusing on your breath, focusing on uh, building up your um, ability to even focus your mind on, on uh, one thing without having it constantly wander, although it always does wander. Yeah. Um, and then you start kind of going through um, the uh, observing various sensations on your body. And the, the theory behind that is that as various stimuli um, arrive, you, uh, before you even can recognize them uh, mentally or rationally and react to them, you have some kind of a, a reaction that you can identify by uh, a sensation on the body. This is kind of the, the uh, theory that this is predicated on. Um, and if the training is essentially that you obse observe these emotions, observe these reactions on the body, and you uh, practice being equanimous towards them. So as an unpleasant sensation arises, uh, you kind of observe it and you remember that it's going to pass away like everything else that has come before it. Um, if a pleasant sensation arises, you're going to observe that uh, it is also going to pass away um, and you don't get attached to them. Um, now, there's all sorts of Buddhist theory behind why this would work. Um, and I don't really care if the theory is correct or scientifically proven or, um, you know, uh, one can ask all of those questions. But for me, in my experience, um, I'm much calmer and uh, much less reactive um, when I come out of one of these and then by the, by the time a year passes, I, uh, I think it's time for another one. I could really use one. So, so you end up looking forward to it because it's, it's not a, quite a vacation, but it, it's something that becomes a part of you. Absolutely. Yeah. It's that those 10 days are not easy. It's, just, it's totally, not, it's not a retreat in the sense of uh, you're going somewhere to have a good time. Uh, getting through the 10 days is quite challenging. Um, you know, you're sitting and trying to focus for 11 hours a day. Um, it's a pretty rigorous um, program. And essentially, you, you can't exercise. Uh, your food is already provided for you. So you just have a few meal breaks. Um, and otherwise, you're just practicing all the time. Uh, so it is, is, a it, is it guided? There is it is, guided? Do you have people helping you? There are, yes. Uh, so there are instructions that are provided. Um, uh, so there are some uh, sittings during the day where you receive instructions and there's a teacher where you can ask questions uh, at specific at designated times. 
Um, but for the, for the most part, for most of those 11 hours of the day, um, you are trying to practice on your own. Um, and it is by day six or seven, you really want to get out of there um, because it's getting uh, really repetitive and really boring. We've all been in lockdown this year, right? We know how, we know, we all know how that is. Yeah. Um, and, but I still, uh, it's a worth, worthwhile challenge to take on, I think. And so you said, uh, the first one was probably the easiest. What made the other ones harder? Why, why, why did it get harder each time? Um, that's a good question. I think um, maybe I just had more and more things to, to uh, work through. Um, which which seems logical, right? Like your business is getting more successful, but with success comes issues and problems and uh, money doesn't solve those problems. And so yeah. uh, I, I can just imagine like being away for 10 days was probably the length of days was hard at the first time, but it gets harder and harder, but you can't be away from your business that long without having contact and your team not knowing, um, not knowing what you're, what's going on with your team. Um, no, but also no. the, the type of challenges that you had to think through. I think the, the emotional pressure is, is, is higher. It's not so much, um, I say a lot of those mechanics of um, how, how the team is doing and whatnot. I think we've generally been in a pretty good spot with, uh, I'm not worried about things falling apart without me. Um, uh, and I haven't been for, uh, for a while. I think we've, we've been pretty lucky with that. Um, I've never hired before either, but I, uh, I think we've managed to hire some really great people. Um, but it is, it is the emotional pressure. And I think uh, some of it is that I'm actually kind of getting better at the technique, at the technique of meditation, um, uh, which means I'm actually, I, I know when I'm cutting corners and when I'm not, uh, where I think the le- first time around, I kind of cut myself a little more slack um, than, than the subsequent times. Okay. Um, now, again, these are not easy things to talk about, but we all face them as entrepreneurs. But uh, a lot of people <clears throat> don't fall under the pressure to abandon entrepreneurship. It's kind of in our blood. Like we, I don't know if we're a glutton for punishment and we keep going back for more pain, but uh, entrepreneurs um, keep sticking their hand back in the fire. So the, with these challenges and issues, like thankfully you've, you've found an outlet and you're, um, it seems like you're being um, very, rewarded by by that process that you're going through but how did that shape your vision of what entrepreneurship what does entrepreneurship mean to you and why do you keep doing what you're doing um yeah it's definitely a uh and more of a masochistic uh career than uh, <laughs> than some of the alternatives out there um i think the thing that it I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying to answer this question without hitting all the cliches that are out there because all the cliches are actually true. And I, I'm one of the, uh, I'm someone who's really skeptical of a lot of the hype uh, that gets put, put out there in like Silicon Valley and whatnot. But I got to say, it's kind of true. Uh, we only have, like, Dr. Bill doesn't have millions of users. It will never be, um, it will never be a ding in the universe in some ways. Um, but it is a significant thing when, for example, uh, we are approached in, say, a coffee shop because we have a Dr. Bill sticker on our laptop. We are approached in a coffee shop by a 
uh, a doctor who says, hey, I really love your products and uh, it's saving me a ton of time. Um, and similarly, uh, when we can build a uh, work environment that people really like to um, work in, to me, there's nothing more rewarding. You're building, creating a work environment that, that people like to spend a third of their, um, their life uh, in. And at the same time, you're using that to build a product that uh, is making life better in some ways. It, does, it may not be the most significant part of their life, uh, but it is making their lives uh, better. And these are people who, in our case, um, they're pretty significant members of society, especially at a time like this, right? Um, so it's about being able to have an impact and being able to control how you have an impact. I think you can have an impact at a lot of um, uh, places, arguably if you work for an Apple or Google of the world, that, that is significant impact, but your contribution to it is, uh, as an individual is much smaller. Um, the thing that is really rewarding for me is being able to really put my stamp on it in a, in a significant way. Um, even if the, even if the company that I'm building is my, is smaller, I'm, I'm still okay with that. I wanted to have more of me there. Um, and I think one of the things that was the most rewarding, we actually got acquired a year ago and, uh, just prior to the acquisition, um, so one of the, uh, one of our earliest team members, uh, started a thread on Slack, uh, talking about what Dr. Bill, uh, means to the team. And I think even more than what it, uh, the positive reviews that we might get from customers that touched me more than anything um, uh, before it, because, you know, we have, we have this um, portion of our staff who are medical billing specialists and uh, typically they work in an industry that is not, well, uh, at least prior to March of 2020 was not very friendly to remote work. Um, and so we're kind of enabling them to work remotely and therefore enabling them to have uh, uh, certain things in their lives that they really wouldn't be able to get anywhere else. And that is really, really cool to me. And I hope to be able to do things like that all the time, even if I need to do one or two meditation retreats a year. So it's again like the, the flip side of, of you could be part of somebody else's vision, which your team has, has obviously shown a lot of appreciation and, and, um, gratitude for being part of that vision, or in your case, you could be the one uh, with that vision, executing against your own vision. So kind of like be the change that you want to see in the world, right? Yeah. yeah. Awesome, Hirad. Really appreciate you taking the time today. Um, we're going to close this out with a few questions. The first one that I've been asking everybody is, is help our audience uh, get exposed to a new app or a tool. What's an app or a tool that you have found indispensable for your founder journey and, and your career? Um, it could be on a personal level, something that you use in your personal life, or it could something that you used uh, in your professional world, but something that's made your life easier. Um, so I wasn't going to um, talk about it so much. And we kind of went down this path and I'm, I'm uh, uh, this was kind of my pick for the, uh, for this app or tool, which was the meditation retreat. I think, I think this is a, it is a challenging thing and a lot of people are put off by the prospect of sitting in silence for 10 days. Um, and a lot of times they want to do it for a shorter amount of time or they want to have a gentler introduction. I think you should go for a 10 day silent meditation retreat. That's the thing that um, for me is really the, the thing that makes me mentally resilient enough to take on anything else. Uh, um, so it comes first. 
So if somebody was to, one of our audience wants to look into this, what would you recommend they uh, type into Google or type into Bing? Bing's still a thing. <laughs> Jump yeah. on uh, yeah. uh, Explore and use Bing to search what? So you can go to um, dhamma.org. So it's D-H-A-M-M-A dot O-R-G. Um, so this is the particular kind of school of meditation that I um, follow. They have a lot of meditation centers all around the world. Um, and I'm, I haven't actually looked into one since COVID. Um, I, I think there's definitely some in BC that are running at uh, lower capacity than usual. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, but you can go there and uh, wherever you are in the world, you can kind of search for uh, 10 day um, courses um, and you can get started there. That's awesome. Yeah. Our audience uh, is, is global international. So um, it's good to know that this is something that's available all around the world. All right. We're going to wrap it up with uh, one last question here. Hirad, what is your advice for um, somebody that's trying to start a company today? A, a brand new founder, seasoned founder, it doesn't matter. Starting a business today uh, is, is very different and challenging. What would be your advice there? Um, yeah, so to be honest, it's kind of hard for me to answer that because um, I haven't started something new in a, in a good seven years. Um, <laughs> That's but a good honest answer. I to, yeah, it's true. Um, if I had to pick one thing uh, that has kind of stood out to me recently, uh, it would be that the, one of the key um, elements that helps young teams uh, is a support network and a community that they can, um, uh, they can rely on. Um, and obviously at a time like this, it's kind of hard to have in-person communities, you know, uh, Launch Academy kind of served as a community for us where, um, that's where our founding team uh, formed for Dr. Bill. Um, you sat but there uh, are about 20 feet right behind me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in one of those desks behind me. Yeah. Um, but at the, at right now, that's kind of hard to do. But there are all these um, online communities that are popping up uh, centered around a variety of interests. And I've been joining a few of these uh, recently. Um, one that uh, the audience for, uh, uh, for this... Uh, video may be interested in would be um, Acquired. So Acquired is a, is a podcast about um, uh, exits and IPOs. Um, and they have their own uh, Slack channel for uh, where you can connect with uh, people who are in- interested in startups or investing from all over the world. Uh, so this is one of the interesting things that, that is happening is that all these communities are popping up where they're no longer geographically uh, constrained. Uh, you're constrained in, in how you can interact with them, but not by geography. And uh, so I think people should take advantage of that. I'm trying to take advantage of that as much as possible and use that to connect with um, people who broaden my perspectives. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's a good thing to have at the time of COVID. Yeah. And you're right now you're sitting in the UK and uh, right. building an international, building a Canadian company from an international destination. Yeah, and I've done this uh, multiple times throughout the Dr. Bill journey. So Dr. Bill is really international and our team is pretty international. So so the team is uh, uh, distributed, so you've got people working all over the world? Uh, Yeah, so we have some people in uh, Europe um, and we also have people all across Canada. That's awesome. Uh, Hirad, really appreciate you taking the time today to um, give our audience's insight into your founder journey. This is the 
opportunity now for you to uh, give us your call to action. What is it that our audience can do for you? Um, I would like to know what I can do for them. So if anyone uh, wants to reach out to me on LinkedIn, I'm always interested in talking to people who are in this journey. Like I said, I haven't started something in seven years, but it always uh, gets me very excited and uh, exhilarated to hear about the things that other people are doing. And, uh, and if I can help in any way, I'll be happy to. So um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, feel free to message me uh, if you think um, it might be useful. Awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely make sure the audience has uh, your LinkedIn profile that's accessible. Uh, here, Ed, this has been an awesome conversation. Really appreciate you being open and honest with the, your answers and, and really uh, appreciate the insight into this 10-day retreat and uh, the journey of meditation to address mental issues and founder issues um, that come from building awesome businesses. Thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck with uh, Dr. Bill as it continues to grow. Thanks so much for having me, Ray. It's been great. Launch Ventures is for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you enjoyed today's episode of Founder Journey, please share this with your friends, family, and other entrepreneurs. If you're ready to start your own entrepreneurial journey and would like some guidance, please head to launchacademy.ca and check out our entrepreneurship course and other online resources like our Launchpad for virtual incubation and mentorship.